In 2006, the St. Petersburg Times reported the death of a Ukrainian man who was mauled by a lioness at the Kiev Zoo. He encountered the animal on purpose, believing that God would protect him. A zoo official said that the man lowered himself by a rope to a concrete enclosure holding the lions, shouting, God will save me if he exists. The man took off his shoes and walked toward the lions. One lioness came to meet him. She knocked him down and quickly severed his carotid artery. Zoo officials stated that the incident which occurred in front of a large crowd was the first of its kind. My friends, heeding bad doctrine can have deadly consequences. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 2 to learn about a woman who teaches false doctrine in the church, which leads people astray. Let me give some background here to the church of Thyatira. It was uh, located approximately 30 miles southeast of Pergamos. Although it's the smallest of the seven cities mentioned in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it receives the longest message. I find that intriguing. Uh, They were famous for manufacturing purple dye. Lydia was from here. Uh, She is called a seller of purple and one who worshipped God in Acts 16, 14. It was also known for its many guilds, association for workers of the same trade, if you will, which includes worship of their gods, Also involved in these guilds were common meals uh, offered to idols, drunkenness, and immorality. And this is what crept into the church. Here's a quote from the Zondervan Pictorial Encyclopedia. It was difficult to abstain from the guild festivities without losing one's business and social acceptance. To confer meant exposure to the licentious background and pagan ritual that marked the guild dinner. Now with the background before us, let me go ahead and read to you the longest of the seven messages, beginning in Revelation 2 in verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual morality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality And she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her in the great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. 
And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. As I have also received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Join me in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for your son's ability to discern. We thank you that what is shared with each of these seven churches now belongs to us because he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church is. So Father, by your Spirit, the Spirit of truth, guide us. Help us to understand the teaching that was imparted to this church that applies to us today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thyra Tyra was most likely a wealthy area. Uh, There was a highway, a great highway, situated from Ephesus to Antioch and the east. So there was a lot of opportunity to make money in this region. Note now the statement, these things says the Son of God. There is clearly doctrinal deviation that this church has experienced. And when you see even at the very beginning of Jesus' comments that he is the son of God, he is the son that belongs to the category of God, you know he's going to meet them head on. It's sort of like when Paul identifies himself in his epistle as an apostle you sort of know there's probably some doctrinal problem in that church, the Son of God. That's who Jesus is. Peter recognized this. You remember his declaration to Jesus in Matthew 16, 16. It says, you are the Christ. Actually, the Greek says, sue ha Christos. You, emphatically, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To be the Son of God, makes himself equal to God. He is God. And I want to show this to you from the book of John. Would you turn back with me, please, to John chapter 5. And let's pick up verses 17 and 18 to get the context here. John chapter 5, 17 and 18. The Jews, the religious hierarchy, are attacking the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 17, but Jesus answered them. And observe the word here, my. He calls God my father, has been working until now, and I have been working. So if it's my father, who does that make Jesus? The son. Look at verse 18. Therefore, see, for this reason is the Greek structure here. The Jews sought, kept on seeking all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, see, because from their perspective, he worked on a Sabbath by healing someone, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal. Same term that's used in Philippians chapter 2, 6 about the son to the father, making himself equal with God. So clearly, when Jesus self-identifies as the Son of God, he's saying, I am equal to God. Back with me to Revelation chapter 2. The assessment 
of God in the person of Jesus Christ continues. He is described as having eyes like a flame of fire. Sound familiar to you? Back in chapter 1 and verse 14, a similar description. And recall that to the first six churches, what they are told goes back in some way, shape, or form to Revelation 1, where John is given a vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ. And then also, in chapter 19 and verse 12, with Jesus' second coming, he is described similarly. Uh, Thomas writes concerning this expression, eyes like a flame of fire, it shows surpassing intelligence. Also, I believe there's a hint of deity in the statement. Back in Exodus chapter 3, remember the burning bush incident? Exodus 3, 2 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is Moses, but how? In a flame of fire. So who is the angel of the Lord? In Exodus 3, 4, God called to him from the midst of the bush. But the idea is that God manifested through the fire. That's not unusual when it comes to a description of who our God is. So he has eyes like a flame of fire. He's discerning. He has surpassing intelligence because he is God. And his feet like fine brass. Back in uh, Revelation 1.15, it adds, as if refined in a furnace. Uh, Jesus is the morally pure. Get that as by way of contrast to what's going on in this church. He's the morally pure son of God and he's qualified to judge. Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. Now we have the discerning son of God who has been tested and has been found, tried, and true. And we see in 119, he says, I know your works. Love, service, faith, and patience. And your patience. And the Greek construction here puts the emphasis on works. And it's explained by what follows. You could translate this, I know your works, namely, love, service, faith, and your patience. This church had what Ephesus lacked. The Ephesians church lacked love. This church has love, which is showing the quality of their works because God is very interested not only in what we do, but the motivation behind our service. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3 in verse 13. And the fire will test each one's work. Again, work is singular, showing the totality of their life's work. And then he goes on to say of what sort it is. The word sort here refers to quality. If you will, quality is job one. When it is done in love. Jesus returns back now after saying these things, recognizing their work, speaking of love, service, faith, and patience. But notice what he does here. It's almost like bookends. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Again, by way of contrast, go back to the previous church. 
Look at the church of Ephesus in chapter 2 and verse 5, and let's see what their situation was. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This church increased in its works, unlike the church of Ephesus that needed to go back and do their first works. So far, seemingly so good. But now you come down to verse 20. Nevertheless, that's the adversative Allah. But nevertheless, I have a few things against you. It's showing a sharp contrast with the preceding. Because you allow that woman Jezebel. Uh, You might want to underline, highlight the word allow. It's a present tense verb. It was continually going on. Even as Jesus evaluates this church, the practice that continued was allowing this woman Jezebel to teach. And the idea here of allow means to let pass or to permit. Who is Jezebel? Well, let's go back first of all to the Old Testament Jezebel. She was the Phoenician wife of King Ahab. We learn about that in 1 Kings 16 in verse 31. 1 Kings 18.4 says that Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. She hated God and she hated his servants. And then in chapter 19 of verse 2 of 1 Kings, she desired to kill Elijah. Now she wanted to put the man of God to death. In 1 Kings 21, she had Naboth, remember him, and had him murdered and took his vineyard. And one more thing, in 2 Kings 9.22, we learn that she committed harlotries uh, and witchcraft. So what does Elijah do? He predicts in 1 Kings 21.23, her demise. It says there, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And then in 2 Kings chapter 9, as the prediction comes to pass, this is exactly what happens in verses 30 through 37. Now, here in our case in Revelation 2, Jezebel is probably a symbolic name for a woman in the church whose practices resemble that of Jezebel. Notice that this woman has put out her own shingle who calls herself a prophetess. She's not recognized by the Lord or by apostles as being a prophetess. This is who she calls herself. Should this woman, even if she were a prophetess, be permitted to speak in church? Come back with me to 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we want to look at verses 34 through 37. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 37. Let me set the context for you. In chapter 14, Paul is showing the superiority of prophecy over Tongues, tongues being languages, known languages. We learned that from Acts chapter 2, also shown in Acts 10 and Acts chapter 19. 
clearly the word tongues in its origin means known language. And that's how it's used in the scripture. Here, Paul is making the case that why would you have someone come in and speak in a foreign language to a church that doesn't understand what is being said? So therefore, it's much better when someone is a prophet and communicating either the existing word of God or what God gives them, if you will, hot off the pipeline. But this is what the Apostle Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 34. Let your women, and notice here, keep silent in the churches. And the word here, to keep silent, one in the Greek is an imperative. And it means not to say a word. They were not permitted to prophesy in front of the body of Christ. Let your women keep silent, but where? In the churches. Now, where is Jezebel ministering, if you will, if you want to call it ministry, in the church? For they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. And you might be thinking, Pastor, where at in the law does it say this? And I think it's the general tenor of the law. Why? Because God had created the man first and the woman to be a helper. Although Eve disobeyed God first, whose sin is passed down to all of us today? Romans chapter 5 says clearly it is Adam's. The idea from the Old Testament law is the priority of creation. That the man was created to be the leader and then the woman came to be a helper. But there is a role reversal that has taken place. Verse 35, still in chapter 14. And if they want to learn something here, speaking of the women, let them ask their own husbands at home for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Obviously, there was a disruptive spirit in the Corinthian church that Paul is correcting. Now down to verse 37, same chapter. If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. So you got to understand this, that back in verse 34 where it says, for the women are not permitted to speak, Paul is saying emphatically, that this is the commandment of the Lord. So Jezebel, even if she were a prophetess, is disobedient to the scripture. So she's calling herself a prophetess, and then what is she doing? She's teaching in the church, according here to Revelation chapter 2. Again, the word teaching is in the present tense. She's continually teaching. Should she have been permitted to do this? And by the way, the word teach can be used broadly to include preaching. Uh, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 for a primary passage to look at. Uh, and I just want to caution you today, be, be very careful not to find secondary passages to make a theological point. What you want to do is find the primary passage where God directs us to a portion of Scripture that is pertaining to that topic. 
that is what you want to do instead of trying to find all these subsidiary issues and sides that aren't dealing with that particular topic. You've got to look at the primary passages. This is one of those. 1 Corinthians 14, clearly, because that's what Paul is dealing with in a church concerning women. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and, and this is very important to state up front. Paul is not speaking about cultural issues. In chapter 3 and verse 15, he's writing to Timothy about the conduct of the local church. What many people try to do is backpedal and say these things were just cultural for the first century. We're going to see very clearly or not. This is what Paul is instructing Timothy to teach the church and enforce. Chapter 2, verse 11. Let a woman, and here is a different Greek word than we saw in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, learn in silence. It means to be settled down. It means quietness. It's the concept here of rest. Apparently, what was happening in here in the church of Ephesus is that you had certain women who were uh, going beyond their God-given authority, and they needed to be settled down. Let a woman learn in silence with all, and here's your word, submission. Let's go back to creation and the priority of creation. Do not permit, remember the term, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty four. and then when Paul says, I don't permit a woman to prophesy in church, he goes, and this is the commandment of the Lord. That is what he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, observe the word for in verse 13. It's the conjunction gar. It's about to give the reason why women were not to preach and have authority over men. And it had nothing to do with culture. It had everything to do with the priority of creation. And that is so very important for us to understand. Women are in no wise inferior to men. They just have a different role to carry out. And Genesis makes that very clear. With creation, God says it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when it came to man being created, it's very good. And in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. But I will give him a helper. Not a leader, not someone over him, but a helper. With this in mind, verse 13 for Adam was formed first. See, this is not cultural. It's super cultural. It goes beyond culture. Then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in the transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved or delivered in childbearing. Women have the privilege to teach their children and grandchildren. Paul writes to Timothy, did he not have the influence on his life of a godly mother and grandmother, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. I was uh, privileged to earn my doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. And Dallas has uh, put out a theological journal uh, for an extremely long period of time. Ann uh, Bauman uh, wrote in the Bibsac, that's the abbreviated name, in April 
1992. Here's her quote, and I love this. She wrote a scholarly article. Paul's point is that this role reversal that caused such devastation at the beginning must not be repeated in the church. In essence, what she's saying is that Adam is given the spiritual headship. He is our representative, was he not? There in the Garden of Eden. And even after he sinned following Eve, it is his sin that is passed down to mankind. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3, he has a son, Adam. His name is Seth, who is made in his image after his likeness, showing that the fall had impact on his own family and by way of extent to all of us. Back with me in Revelation 2. Jezebel has done a great disservice to the church. She took on a role she did not have the authority to do. And what's she doing? She's beguiling beguiling the servants of God. The word he beguile uh, gives us her English word planet, to wander. She is deceiving them. And then Jesus says she's deceiving them that the servants, his servants, are committing sexual morality and eating things sacrificed to idols. Jezebel built a bridge from the world See, with their guilds and all their immoralities and idolatries into the church. And by the way, we have seen that in major denominations across the country and around the world where now we have so-called spiritual leaders who have built a bridge from the world's philosophy and thinking right into the church. This is serious business Jesus says in verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality and she did not repent. Perhaps Jesus dispatched John to speak to this woman. We don't know, but she was corrected and she still hasn't changed. He's very patient, but his patience does not last forever. And then in verse 22, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Jezebel and her followers, most likely speaking of her spiritual progeny, will be cast into a sickbed. See, they were committing adultery. And Jesus says, I'm going to make you sick. I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to punish you for what you've done with great tribulation. And great tribulation here is not eschatological. It's not pertaining to the second half of the tribulation. It's just talking about that she's going to have severe affliction and pressure. How bad is it? We can see that this is not jumping into the end time thing because in verse 23, the context shows, and I will kill her children with death. Again, those that she has trained that have followed in her footsteps and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. When Jesus steps in, as he did with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, and in Acts judgment, and all the other churches step back and go, whoa, we better not follow in her footsteps. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 is, is such a, a potent statement. 
Paul writes, if anyone defiles, the idea is destroys the temple of God. In that context, he's referring to the church. God will destroy him. You see, Jesus is very zealous for his church. Matthew 16, 18, future tense, I will build my church. So when you have individuals who come in, as uh, even Jude talks about those who've crept in unnoticed, when you have that take place, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will enact judgment. And those individuals who permeate the church and infiltrate it with their bad doctrine and bad living which follows, Jesus will personally deal with them. And then he goes on to say, and I will give to each one of you according to his works. You see what a works is a prominent theme to this church. He is the just judge. So our first point, reject false doctrine and immorality to avoid judgment. That's verses 18 through 23. And now our second point, resist false doctrine while maintaining good works. You see, you have to stand up against the bad teaching, but at the same time continue serving the Lord. Now, in verse 24, I just want to draw your attention to something. Uh, Look at verse 24. Now to you I say, see the word and, It gives you the idea that there are two separate groups being addressed. The majority of Greek manuscripts do not contain the word chi or and. We could say it this way. Now to you I say, to the rest in Thyatira. Who is being addressed here, I believe, is the group that remained loyal to our Lord. So that's the rest. And notice it goes on to say, as many as do not have... This doctrine, the doctrine of idolatry and immorality, and who have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them. Can you imagine how Satan had penetrated this church through Jezebel and had his prophetess, not God's, teaching bad doctrine to lead the saints astray. The deep things of Satan. John Walford writes, just as there are the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10, which are taught by the Spirit, so there are the deep things of Satan which result from his work. Deep things of God, Spirit of God teaches us by the Holy Spirit who lives within us, but then you have the deep things of Satan. Can you imagine the filthiness involved in that? Jesus says, I will put on you no other burden. Very simply, abstain from idolatry and immorality. And by the way, this was the statement also at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 and verse 29, the church needs to stay away from idolatry. At the end of 1 John, we're told, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And we need to stay away from immorality. The two go hand in hand. And down in verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. The imperative here, hold fast, means to get a firm grip on. 
They need to maintain their good works. This has been again repeated over and over in this longest section to a church out of the seven. And we are to remain loyal and serve our Lord until Jesus comes. So let's review our first two points and jump into our third point. Reject false doctrine and immorality to avoid judgment. Number two, resist false doctrine while maintaining good works. And now number three, remain faithful and rule with the morning star. That's verses 26 through 28. Familiar words, verse 26, and he who overcomes. I trust by now as you're studying the churches with me, you're thinking, okay, that's 1 John 5, 4 and 5, that all true believers are overcomers and keeps my works until the end. Jesus' works here contrasted to Jezebel's. To him I will give power over the nations. That's extraordinary. Do you remember what Jesus told even the 12 in Matthew 19, 28? That the apostles would rule and reign with Christ, judging the nations. To you and me, even in the church age, we are given the promise that when we are faithful, that we will do the same with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that will occur in the kingdom. And we'll study that, Lord willing, in Revelation chapter 20. But it's a great thought to know what is before us and the rewards that lie ahead of us. And now we have the quote, because look at verse 27, coming from Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9. He shall rule them with the rod of iron. This is a prediction about the millennial kingdom in Christ ruling over the world. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. How amazing that our Lord will reward us for being faithful to rule with him and reign with him in his kingdom. And then in verse 28, it only gets better. And I will give him the morning star. What does that mean? I will give him the morning star. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 verse 16 I believe answers that question. Because Jesus Christ himself is called the morning star. I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Call He comes from the line of David. David was told that he would rule over an eternal house, throne, and kingdom. That's 2 Samuel 7. How is that fulfilled? We learn in Luke chapter 1, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I am the root and the offspring of David, and then he's called the bright and the morning star. Our Lord is bright. In the new Jerusalem, there's no need of the sun and moon. Why? Because the presence of God is there. Stars give direction. There's no one who gives direction like our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the encouraging note here, down in verse 29, 
that this message applies to all churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now what I want you to do is turn with me over to Titus chapter 2. And as you're turning to Titus chapter 2, let me just take a second and review with you our three points. And I want to show you some verses and we'll close there in Titus 2. Number one, reject false doctrine and immorality to avoid judgment. You do. You need to stay away from bad teaching. You need to walk away from immorality. The two are usually associated. Number two, resist false doctrine. Stand fast against it while maintaining good works. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And in number three, remain faithful and rule with the morning star. You and I are given the tremendous privilege to serve our Lord now and then to rule and reign with Jesus Christ in the future. Here in Titus chapter 2, and Titus has much to say about maintaining good works. Read the entire short epistle and that is what you will see. Our section of scripture in Revelation 2 had much to say about maintaining good works. Chapter 2 of Titus, verse 1. But as for you, and here's the command, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. They need to model the way for the others. Verse 3. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, and that, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. And then the classic passage down in verses 11 through 14, that salvation is universally available, and that we are to look for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, everyone, and purify for himself his own special people. And note the last four words, zealous for good works. May God help us to reject false teaching, not to submit to it, to call it out when we see it, but then also to maintain good works zealously until our Lord Jesus Christ comes. And then in that future, we can look forward to ruling and reigning with him. Let's pray. Thank you, my Lord. What a tremendous portion of Scripture inspired by the Spirit of God that spoke to a particular church 2,000 years ago and is still speaking today. May we be steadfast and not submit to bad teaching. May we not allow the world to creep into the church and follow those who are trying to build that bridge. But rather may we stand firm. 
maintain good doctrine and good works until your son comes. That one day we will rule and reign with him as part of our reward. We thank you. Give us a zeal for good works. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.